I'm Denise. She's a non-fiction editor. And I'm Louise. She's a fiction editor. And together, we're The Editing Podcast. Hello and welcome back to The Editing Podcast. So, we have a guest this week. We do indeed, and it's our lovely colleague Nick Taylor. So Nick's here to chat with us about LGBTQ plus editing. Welcome Nick, it is lovely to have you. Hello, thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks so much for joining us, Nick. So Nick's a freelance proofreader and editor of fiction and creative nonfiction, and he works predominantly with self-publishing authors. So Nick, could you start by telling us a little bit about the kinds of editing that you do? Uh, yes, so I work um, with self-publishing authors. I work uh, as a developmental editor, copy editing and proofreading. And uh, it's great to be able to see the whole process through uh, from the very start of a manuscript right through to publication. A lot of what I do uh, with my self-publishing authors is proof editing, which is a, a newer sort of service that we're offering. So Nick, um, do you want to explain to us what proof editing is? Because for the uninitiated, that phrase, although Denise and I are both aware exactly what it means, some um, newer editors might not be aware of it. Sure. So it's uh, really sort of a, a combination of proofreading and a little bit of copy editing, but it's done on the raw text file. It's done uh, with less detail, I suppose, than a copy edit. Uh, very often I'm working on a nearly completed manuscript and unlike a proofread where we might mark up a finished page proof with proof yeah. editing we're looking at working on the word document and making those little changes directly to the word document i very often find that that's um useful for people that are uh, producing ebooks mm. very often they'll upload a word document to the the publisher and so they don't need a traditional proofread they'll need that sort of proof edit yeah, it's like raw text versus those designed page proofs that often That's come in it. PDFs and, and, and stuff. So it, you've actually got, a, you can actually change the, the actual text, can't you? Rather than with a PDF, you might be just saying, I'd like someone else to change the text. Yes, it. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's such a common theme that runs across editors' experiences working with independent authors, isn't it? And it's mm -hmm. why we need to be really clear with them about the scope of the project rather than what it's called. Oh, definitely, so, yeah. Yeah. So let's get into LGBTQ plus themes. That's one of your specialisms, Nick. And Denise and I are both big fans of, of, of messaging around specialisms. So is that something you actively market as a specialism? And if so, why did you choose it? So publishing generally is quite an inclusive world. It's quite a safe world. But historically, there just hasn't been uh, the representation in published books. And that lack of representation is something that that really drives my work um, it's slowly changing and i think the number of self-publishing authors coming through now producing lgbtq plus books is definitely changing that mm -hmm. and, yes it's, it's a big field it, it's a increasing uh increasingly large genre absolutely and it encompasses so many genres it's not a genre in its own right and that's one of the the great joys of working with lgbtq plus books hmm. is you can be reading a fantasy a world war ii spy thriller uh, a historical not you know there's oh. so many opportunities out there and so so representation that's that's important to you 
Oh, it, it's vital. Yeah, absolutely. So if you go back, even within recent years, so we look at Section 28, that was only repealed in 2003. Nick, can you explain, because obviously Section 28 is something specific to the UK and some people uh, may not under maybe too young to understand what that was or aren't from the UK and aren't familiar with what Section 28 was. So Section 28 was a law that was brought in by uh, Margaret Thatcher's government that prohibited schools and other sort of public institutions from uh, promoting, as I think it was called, mm. LGBTQ plus themes and texts. So you didn't have gay stories in schools. You didn't have uh, LGBTQ safe spaces. You didn't have lessons on sex and relationships education. There just wasn't that representation mm-hmm. for, for young people yeah and that's actually still an issue in this in some of the textbooks that I, I work on English language teaching textbooks and materials and there's still certainly an issue with uh, being more inclusive and more representative in that field because many of the markets that these books are targeting are not as accepting and, and as inclusive of um, of LGBTQ plus themes as we are and therefore they will not buy textbooks if they have those themes and and many others not exclusively that but there may be other themes as well um in them so it's it's still a problem in other countries even if we have now repealed section 28 haven't we yes yes, yes. When, I'm not sure when that happened you'll know uh, back in we we repealed it in 2003 but yeah. across the world there are mm-hmm. you know so many uh, so many laws preventing so much representation. Yeah. Wow. And Nick, how do you think that translates in terms of thinking about history and um, collective history? I've often written about the fact that LGBTQ plus people don't necessarily have a way of passing on their history. Mm. So storytelling isn't done from generation to generation, which is why books, stories, non-fiction books, the whole sort of publishing spectrum is really important. And if we don't, we're gonna lose that collective history. We're gonna lose the language, Mm -hmm. the the understanding. So it's really important that we try and keep those stories alive. Yeah, and in front of many uh, people as possible. I mean, Denise, do you remember when we had on um, C. C. Chapman? Chapman Yeah. And and we were talking about con languages and mentioned Polari Mm -hmm. and thinking about that in relation to acceptance and tolerance at different times in history. And and, and it's just just amazing how how much um, gay culture has changed massively in the 21st century. And and stories are a big, storytelling is a big part of that. It's vital. And, you know, we we are soon going to lose a lot of our understanding of of what is actually quite recent history Mm. as we move through the generations. Mm -hmm. I talk to younger people now and they have no real understanding of the AIDS epidemic. They have no real understanding of what uh, the police's culture was around LGBTQ plus people. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's important that we keep this history alive yeah absolutely Absolutely. yeah so Nick could you um tell us a little bit about about the market you've already touched on the fact that LGBTQ plus books aren't necessarily a genre of their own 
because it's intersectional with many other genres. But can you tell us a little bit about what the market's like, for example, with indie authors and with publishers and um, what different subgenres you may find yourself working in and, and the sort of size of the market? What's your take on that? I think the market is growing daily almost. It's mm-hmm. More and more people are coming to feel confident to tell these sorts of stories. Mm-hmm. and the number of people self-publishing these books is growing. Um, I think there are a number of specialist small presses now that are focusing on LGBTQ books. A lot of the big publishing houses will be publishing stuff as well. So it, it's a you know a huge market and the potential is, is massive. Mm-hmm. And what about genre, Nick? Um, do you think that there are of particular genres that have, have traditionally been safer spaces for LGBTQ plus characters? We've always seen, I think, fantasy, sci-fi, and those otherworldly genres as mm. the safer spaces without the constructs of Earth's limitations. You can have your characters be more gender fluid. You can have your characters explore other aspects of their lives. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, there's traditionally we've seen that, but now we're opening up to more um, realistic fiction, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Life, like, like just yes. re- you know, this is reflects the right the way society is now, or the way we're 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 trying the place we're trying to get to. So, um, are there any specific tropes or challenges or styles that stand out with editing LGBTQ plus materials that editors need to, to consider or watch out for or flag up? So I think we're thinking here about niche representation, poorly crafted stereotypes, sidelining, invisibility, that kind of stuff. Absolutely. There are a ton of stereotypes when it comes mm-hmm. to LGBTQ plus people. And I'd hope that every editor feels confident to flag those up. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the, the, the big one is the gay best friend character in the romance novel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so common, isn't we, it? It's so common. And, you know, that character goes and helps buy the wedding dress and is there with the flutes of champagne. We've seen it all, haven't we? Yeah. A bit dull now. It yes. really is. Yeah. It's been overworked. Do you think there's ever a place for that sort of role, or is it just too tokenistic? Do you think you want to have a character that is there for a reason? Mm. And I think the problem with that stereotype was always it was there for the reason of being inclusive. It didn't have its own character. It didn't have its own progression motivations so what's the character there for mm-hmm. that is such a good point that I think you can also apply in terms of when you know this issue of, of authors desperately wanting to be inclusive and and it applies not just with LGBTQ people but also people of color you know people pe- white writers desperately trying to want to be seeing as as as, as including a sort of more uh, realistic cast of characters and so uh, so shoehorning doing, things in yeah yeah, yeah but mm-hmm. actually actually uh, actually doing the, achieving the very opposite of what they intended it doesn't feel it, it can end up not feeling inclusive can't it it can actually end up feeling like just tokenism and that's and, it and and that's where it becomes 
harmful it can become offensive because the research isn't done Mm -hmm. it's it's really important that we give characters a reason and sort of moving on from that you kind of you need every character to be there for a reason being lgbtq is not a character trait it's not a character flaw it's not a reason to have Mm -hmm. a character and that's you know looking wider it's why is that character there yeah gay people (laughs) bi people lesbian trans we all exist in the world we've all got jobs we all go about daily life it's just one aspect of our character and if your story is solely focused on one aspect of a person what's it doing (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. it's it's one dimensional really isn't it yeah yeah so what other tropes um would you um like our listeners to watch out for i look out for the idea that every queer person in history has been vilified look out for by erasure look out for the effeminate gay man the butch lesbian the confused bisexual Mm -hmm. we're not all that yeah yeah absolutely and so another trope is that it's always been bad for gay people and it really hasn't like a lot of things the laws people's tolerances people's experiences they vary massively throughout time and across the world yeah so it's really important to consider the context of your story and exactly how lgbtq plus people would be perceived at the time and by the people where that story was set and that requires a lot of research but that's going to be difficult because you've got people's experiences they might not be recorded so it's knowing where to look and where to find that information Mm, absolutely Mm -hmm. do you think nick that um that if you're not part of the lgbtq plus community that you can write effectively from their perspective i think that's possible the old adage is write what you know write what you know yeah yeah and i think if we all did that we'd end up with very flat, very boring books because mm-hmm. we'd all be writing about writers and editors and <laughs> we'd all yeah. have a very, very limited worldview, wouldn't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think with careful research, with understanding who you're writing about, yes, you can write about anybody, mm-hmm. but you've got to do it with sensitivity. You've got to do it with care you've got to get someone else to have a look through your book hopefully from that community yeah yeah that's something that we've touched on in in other episodes of um the editing podcast is you know when it's important to bring in um, another set of eyes whether that's formally a sensitivity reader or whether it's somebody who's familiar with the context of your book um especially if it's something that you're not necessarily it's not your own lived experience that it is it's very valuable to get that um that input from somebody who can read it from that perspective and give you useful feedback on it absolutely as you say if it's not your lived experience it's vital that you Mm -hmm. you run it past someone who who does have have that experience yeah that that's and that's um one of our colleagues the other day was talking about how 
that term sensitivity reading, there started to be a little shift. And now people are, mm. are referring to it as authenticity reading. And I really like that take on it because it isn't about necessarily just feeding back to something you said, Nick, about how, you know, sensitivity sometimes can imply negativity and hurt. But actually what, what we're looking for is realism. Will it make sense? Um, Nick, can I ask you about um, sort of language specifics, things like pronouns and, um, uh, you know, like technical aspects of, of, of things like, you know, re referring to you, the, the difference between, say, using adjectives and, and nouns? So it's really important to remember what pronouns someone is using. Uh, the use of things like they and them and some of the neo pronouns is becoming more common, mm. but I'm still hearing of editors nervous of making those changes or thinking that they, them can't be used in certain contexts. Oh, oh really? just, don't you just wish that that would go away? And <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> um, I've been really lucky that I've worked with an author whose characters are very often gender non-specific across the entire book and uh -huh. you never know if it's he she they them mix uh -huh. so as an editor you should be sensitive to that not trying to impose upon the author your view of pronouns yeah definitely <laughs> and while we're on the subject of the technical just um tell us um about the the other thing that people that editors have to watch out for if writers slip up with nouns rather than adjectives yeah so it's really important that we describe an aspect of someone's character so any kind of label whether that's lesbian gay queer non-binary however someone is identifying that's an adjective that's describing one aspect of that person's character yeah. it's not a noun it's not that person is yeah yeah that, 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 yeah. that person might is a gay man not a gay that's it yeah. precisely yeah. yeah nick um just going to throw another question at you here um what would is there any advice you would give to people who perhaps are considering they want to write characters who are homophobic or expressing homophobic opinions in, that may be relevant in the context of um, the story or the character. So they have a character who is, you know, has these opinions. What are, what are your thoughts on, on writers doing that? I think it's really important to reflect that in writing. And mm -hmm. um, it happens. We need to, to see it in fiction to help us understand it and process it. I wouldn't be shy of writing that I would encourage people to write that but I would make sure that you are sure that it's the character doing it and mm -hmm. that it is absolutely clear that it is your character who is homophobic yeah yeah it could be through dialogue it could be through you know their actions but you've got to make sure that it's not in the narration it's in the character mm-hmm that's and we, really good that's that's a really helpful um piece of advice there and and going on from that would you feel that a character like that would you expect them to always have some kind of i don't know 
comeuppance or an epiphany or something like that should that always be reflected in the book as well or can you have a character that is past redemption do you what what do you think there oh that's a good question um (laughs) (laughs) i'd like obviously i'd like to see everyone redeemed and understanding is that going to always be the case Mm. possibly not does it mean it's bad fiction definitely not I think as long as your your hero characters can overcome that situation I think that's the more important thing I'd I'd hate to see a homophobic hero right yeah 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 yeah. they can't win (laughs) yes absolutely not no Uh Nick, this this is really useful, and I'm really I'm absolutely <laughs> sure that it's going to help other fiction editors to um, improve their editing practice. That's that's great. Yeah. yeah, and the more all of us can do to move away from othering stereotypes uh, and into a world of words that um, are people centred, um, the better. So thank you for helping our community on that journey, Nick. How can people find out more about you? Uh, if they pop over to my website, which is justrightwrite.co.uk. You better spell uh, that. That's yeah. Not <laughs> easiest. yeah, it's not the easiest to say on the podcast. So. Nope. <laughs> Just write, W-R-I-T-E, write, R-I-G-H-T, .co.uk. Head over there and there's loads of stuff on there. Fantastic. Well, that's great. Thank you so much, Nick. So that's it for this week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Louise and I certainly have had a really good time talking to Nick. Uh, You can rate, review and subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, Spotify or whichever platform you prefer. Yeah, thanks so much for listening to the editing podcast. She's been Denise. And she's been Louise. And he's been Nick. Join (laughs) us again soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Bye.